Good morning, folks, and thank you for tuning in to The Global Current, Seton Hall's School Diplomacy Podcast. Each week, we break down a new topic in global affairs and have a conversation with students to analyze different perspectives on the subject. This is your host, Eric Butts. Today, we're discussing the U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. But before diving into it, let's check in with this week's news briefer, Joshua Poanda, who will update us on news headlines from around the globe. Joshua? The number of Russian troops being deployed to the Ukrainian border has steadily increased by the thousands. While the Pentagon has not confirmed specific numbers, a spokesperson for the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has said that the number is as high as 80,000. Although Russia has announced withdrawal of many of these forces, officials are still worried about the possibility of a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine, something the world witnessed on a much smaller scale in 2014 with the annexation of Crimea. The United States and its Western allies have voiced their support for Ukraine in the battle against Russian aggression. In a meeting with his Ukrainian counterpart, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said he stands with the people of Ukraine. The United States stands firmly uh, behind the uh, sovereignty and territorial integrity of of Ukraine, uh, and uh, I'm here to reaffirm that with the, uh, uh, the foreign minister today. Uh, and that's particularly important at a time when uh, we're seeing, unfortunately, uh, Russia uh, take uh, very provocative actions. A military spokesperson told Chadian State TV that the president of Chad, Idris Debi, was killed after clashing with protesters on the front lines. Debi had been in power for three decades and had recently won an election that would secure his sixth term in office. Rebels of the Front for Change in the Concord of Chad, who had sought to oust Levy since 2016, are allegedly responsible for the death. The rebels claim they overran a military outpost in Gori, but this was denied by the government, who said the rebels had been defeated. Raul Castro has announced that he is stepping down as the head of Cuba's Communist Party. 89-year-old is the brother of Fidel Castro, the infamous Cuban leader who took power after the 1959 Cuban Revolution. This move means that for the first time in six decades, rule of the Castro family will cease to exist. The United States and China announced they are committed to working together to address climate change more effectively. The announcement comes days after several meetings between U.S. climate envoy John Kerry and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping. As the two highest emitters of greenhouse gases, the goal of their joint action is to reduce emissions that lead to climate change. The Saudi-led coalition involved in the Yemeni civil war has destroyed a Houthi explosive drone it says was fired toward Hamas Mushayet near Abha International Airport. The Houthi rebel group claims the drone inflicted damage on the airport but this report cannot be independently confirmed. This is the latest cross-border attacking against Saudi territory on the part of the Houthis, the group that controls most of northern Yemen. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has called for mass protests around the country as President Vladimir Putin will address his nation. Protests and demonstrations in nearly 80 Russian cities have been scheduled to take place. Navalny, who has spent the past several months in prison, has recently gone on a hunger strike, where it is reported that his health is deteriorating as a result. Thank you, Josh. Now for today's topic. On April 13th, the Biden administration announced a complete withdrawal from Afghanistan on September 11th, 2021. This will end the longest war in US history on the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. And evidently, the move has faced some mixed reactions. Some support it, others wish it came sooner, and some hope that US troops would remain in the region. What led up to this decision, and what effects will it have? Joining me today to discuss this and more are two of our own Seton Hall diplomacy students. Our domestic analyst for today is Daniela Makara. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on. 
And today's international analyst is Harshana Guru. Welcome, Harshana. Hi, Eric. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. I think both of you have done this before, so it's nice to see two familiar faces. Okay, so let's get right into to the, the meat of the issue. Danielle, let me start with you. Um, what is in this announcement? Like, what are the what are the details of it? Can you just give us a brief overview? So the announcement made on April 13 says that the U.S. is putting an end, like you said, to the to the longest war that's had, and it's basically saying that by September 11th, it will withdraw all the American troops that they have, which as of now, it's around 2,500 soldiers on the ground. Okay, so this is by September 11th. Now, I understand there was a deal before this to withdraw troops. When was the deadline for that? And how does this deal compare to the deal made under the Trump administration? So, yes, you're you're correct. Under the Trump administration, the set deadline was May 1st. Um, however, given the change in administrations, Biden came as a new player in the negotiations that had occurred. And the difference is that this agreement is, or this commitment to withdraw troops is unconditional, meaning no matter what, um, the Afghan, the Taliban do, or um, the Afghan government has to offer in terms of retaining certain relationship with the United States, the U.S. will withdraw no matter what. And that is what's causing so much controversy around this issue, because some worry that the U.S. is just leaving Afghanistan without any kind of limitations for the Taliban to take over and basically reverse the efforts that the U.S. has already put into it for during these 20 years. Mm. So this deal differs from the one made previously on that it's a complete unconditional withdrawal. Is that correct? Or will there be some troops staying in or is it a complete withdrawal? So the troop withdrawal is going to be complete. The only thing is that the U.S. embassy in Kabul will keep operating. And Biden has announced that an undisclosed number of troops will stay in Kabul to protect the U.S. diplomats in case security in the capital worsens following the withdrawal. That's been the announcement so far. Okay. And is Biden making any assurances like whatsoever on maintaining uh, relations or maintaining the Afghan government? The administration has reassured that diplomatic commitment will remain. Um, involvement in the peace process will also remain, as well as humanitarian aid and assistance to the Afghan government and security forces, which are mostly still dependent on foreign support, namely the U.S. and NATO. Um, I think it should be noted that, you know, U.S. gives a huge chunk of foreign aid to Afghanistan. In 2016, it gave $5.1 billion of aid to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. So that form of support is likely to, to continue to help the Afghan government um, sustain itself and push back against the Taliban. Okay, very interesting. And I wanted to zip back for a minute uh, and talk about, we, we've mentioned, obviously, the Taliban, Afghanistan. Um, let's go back. 20 years ago, because I mentioned in my introduction, this is America's longest war, and talk about how, why, why did this war even begin? Why are we even in Afghanistan? And why have we been there for 20 plus years? So I think, Eric, to answer this question, we would have to go back a bit further, not just 
2001, but how the Taliban came about and how they became a strong power and an influential, I would say, player in Afghanistan. And this happened after the the takeover of the Soviet Union over after the Soviet mm-hmm. invasion of Afghanistan in the late 80s. And this was a time of competition between the United States and the Soviet Union, namely the Cold War. And at the time when the Soviet Union tried to spread its influence, the U.S. counteracted. And through the CIA, they funnel um, efforts to support militia groups. One of them was the Taliban. So they were able to um, kick out Soviet Soviet influ- or Soviet uh, forces on the ground, and once they had gotten rid of it, the U.S. Le- left the country, and there was a lot of um, disorder. So in the middle of this um, lack of power, the Taliban came to power, settling an order which was very much needed, and it was initially welcomed. Um, at the same time, uh, other other powers uh, came about the um, one of them so the taliban try to implement a very fundamentalist uh rule and on the ground and because they had a very uh, conservative interpretation of the quran so mm-hmm. then we fast forward to around to early 2000s and it was a time when the taliban hosted and allow al-qaeda um to be in in the country okay so when the the 9-11 attack happened um it was the the taliban were um criticized by the u.s government for hosting and allowing terrorist yeah. groups on the ground so what they they gave them an ultimatum uh, asking mm. them to surrender those forces and this is how uh, we after they didn't do so, the U.S. sent their troops as okay. a retaliation and okay, well, in a way me, revenge. Yeah, let me stop you there because we just covered, what, 25 years of history. Um, and that's good. That's good. But there's a lot to unpack. Um, so it goes back to our friend, the Cold War. I feel like the last six stories we've done have all had a Cold War element. Uh, and it seems like the U.S. committed one of the classic blunders of uh, supporting a group which would then turn around and fight against them, which would be uh, the Taliban. And they had an ideology, which was extremely, and you mentioned this, um, extremely fundamentalist, uh, conservative viewpoint of Islam. Can you give us a slightly better idea of what that looks like? So what, on the surface, it looks like, uh, it's basically not allowing women to go to school and to remain at home for a man to grow their beards, do not have music, Mm. uh, television, and being very fervent with their religion, attending uh, service and fulfilling all their um, beautiful uh, responsibilities to Allah, to God. Okay, yeah. And can you tell us briefly about like the composition? You told us about the ideology of the Taliban. Is it like, or the Taliban, that is, one unified group, or are there like a variety of, a variety of groups? Is it kind of fractured, or is it pretty uh, uniform? 
Yeah, I think there's a misconception that the Taliban is just one group, but they do vary. They have different um, segregations within. Uh, it's not just a, a, a monolith, um, but at the end of the day, it is a specific type of group that is the most influential and the one that has right now been involved, for example, in the peace negotiations, which are the most willing to uh, enter these agreements with foreign countries, which is one of the, the goals that they have always had to uh, free Afghanistan from these external actors. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then let's let's pick up the story. Uh, Harshana, maybe I'll pick up with you because Danielle has carried us. Um, from starting in 2001, the U.S. was just just starting to invade. Uh, what happens next? How does the U.S. involvement uh, continue for the next another 20 years? So uh, let me give a, a brief history of how the mission has, has been throughout the, the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. Since 2002, there was sort of a transition where the U.S. established the civil affairs framework to coordinate redevelopment with the U.N., um, and to expand the control of the Kabul government. Those were known as provincial reconstruction teams or PRTs, which were eventually handed over to NATO states. And that's where NATO's involvement in Afghanistan started. And both the US and NATO have been involved in helping rebuild Afghanistan, beginning with um, the Afghanistan constitution in 2004 and electing a government, uh, sorry, electing a president um, the same year. And throughout the years, we've seen that Afghanistan has occasionally relapsed into a war zone as the Taliban has reconsolidated um, itself. And it was after that that President Obama announced a new strategy for the war by investing and creating a stable Pakistan, which at the time was a safe haven um, for mm. al-Qaeda leaders. And then we saw that in 2009, uh, Obama announced a deployment of 30,000 troops um, on top of the 68,000 that was already present in Afghanistan. And he also announced for the first time um, sort of a time frame to start withdrawing troops um, starting mm -hmm. in 2011. And this is what set off a mo the motion of pulling back um, from heavy involvement in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, and then after the death of Osama bin Laden, um, the surged troops that were sent in 2009 were called back. So the U.S. mission has, has principally been to help the Afghan government take over, deter a resurgence of terrorist hotspots. Now, fast forward to the Trump administration. His initial policy was an open-ended military commitment because he wanted to prevent the emergence of a vacuum for terrorists. And then after the negotiations started between the U.S. and the Taliban in 2018, Trump announced the withdrawal of 7,000 troops um, and at that time, there were around 14,000 present in, Af in Afghanistan. Now, even though um, Trump called off the negotiations, the U.S. and the Taliban signed an agreement to draw down troops with a guarantee um, from the Taliban that Afghanistan would not become a hotspot for terrorists again. So this brief history sort of shows up in the state of the U.S. mission, which has evolved from an offensive standpoint um, mm. to reconstructing and helping rebuild and sustain peace in Afghanistan. And just one last question on this topic. Uh, just before the announcement was made, I mean, I know we're withdrawing all troops, but how many, you know, did we have a lot of troops there to, uh, before the announcement? Like, what was the state of the mission in Afghanistan just before this announcement? So before the announcement, 
I mean, currently we've seen that withdrawal, the steps for the withdrawal have already begun. But prior to that, the presence of only 2,500 troops was quite minimal if you compare it to 60,000 troops that were present in Afghanistan 10 or 15 years ago. So mm -hmm. this mission, as I've stated, has primarily been to transition um, sort of the military bases and all the equipment over to the Afghan security forces and sort of help the Afghan government start taking over um, Afghanistan as the U.S. has been planning to start pulling out. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for that 40, 45 year old, 45 year history in Afghanistan. Obviously, it's a very complex and complicated uh, conflict, but I'm sure we've covered every single aspect of it. Uh, for those of you who can't see my face, I'm being a little sarcastic. Uh, let's move on to more recent news uh, and the reaction of other powers and Afghanistan to this announcement withdrawal. Um, first of all, let's start with the Taliban. How did they react? Were they happy, positive, mixed? Uh, Daniela, you want to take this one? So the Taliban were not happy. They were taken aback by the change uh, because they were expecting the U.S. to abide by what the Trump administration had initially promised, like we said before, to withdraw by May 1st. So they saw it as a breach of that pact. Um, the Taliban made a reactionary statement in which they warned that they were going to take any necessary countermeasures after the deadline had passed. So this has grown a sense of threat um, for Afghanistan, for people living in the country of Afghanistan. As of now, the peace talks have ceased between the Taliban and the Afghan government. Um, for instance, Suhail Shaheen, who is a member of the Taliban negotiation team, made the declaration at a press conference in Moscow, in Moscow, where he affirmed that the Taliban remained firm on their demand for an Islam Islamic government. However, he didn't really describe what this would look like. Um, and he, again, appeared very firm on, on his stance that what the U.S. had done was a breach to what they had agreed on. So they, they weren't um, supportive of this change of deadline. So is there any indication, so you, you've put out that they're pretty angry uh, about this, what they consider to be a breach of contract. Is there any indication on how or if they might respond in any way? Or do you have any, any clue on that? And I know we talked about the Taliban's kind of a fractured group. So different groups might respond differently and it's been a problem in the past, but do you have any insight as to how they might respond? Well, as of now, there's really no certainty about how they will react. Uh, in fact, they have abided by the by the promises or the agreements that they had that they made initially. They said that they were not going to launch spring offensive, and that's something that they have not done towards uh, U.S. forces. While the Taliban hasn't really taken any action against U.S. forces specifically. In the past 11 days, they've already conducted 62 bomb blasts, six suicide bombings, and killed 63 civilians. And this has happened in the last 11 days. And so it is very clear that at this point, they're, they're, they are trying to prove a point, basically saying that the U.S. has lost and has achieved nothing in Afghanistan because now the Taliban is in control again. And there are fears of a civil war erupting greater than ever on both sides, by the Afghan government and in the U.S. as well. So I think these sorts of incidents are to be expected and are going to keep on happening. 
And I, I don't know how much of that is like a coordinated strategy uh, by Taliban leadership or just different groups taking the initiative because they're they're angry. Um, but clearly, the, this this problem, even with the U.S. withdrawal, uh, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, let's turn I, to. I can, if I can just add in, so the Taliban, I think it's important to to make the difference that Afghanistan is not fully controlled by the Afghan government. There's a part that the Taliban control, mm-hmm. and there have been attacks throughout the years where the U.S. was still in the country. So all of these um, suicide bombers and so on that you have mentioning that have happened in the past 11 days is not something that had not occurred throughout the time, again, that the U.S. had remained. It's not like just because the announcements were made that the Taliban were going all out on, on the attacks to prove the point. It's something that had continued throughout. It's just now it's been paired with the announcement in trying to make the correlation that because of that, that's happening. Indeed, in fact, uh, the Taliban has become stronger. Even with the with U.S. presence, they have been able to get more weapons. They have developed uh, stronger networks. And this is because they, like Al-Qaeda, have a safe haven still in Pakistan where they can go retreat, get new forces, and then come back. Okay, yeah, so... This um, Taliban ramp up has been a long time coming and they still have plenty of support and uh, influence on the ground. Yeah, so um, I want to turn now to the reaction of the Afghan government uh, and the Afghan people uh, to this announcement. Daniela. So the Afghan president, Ashran Ghani, had a phone conversation with President Biden and he reassured that Afghanistan security and defense are are strong enough to defend its people. But again, they there is a sense within uh, Afghanistan that the Afghan troops have low, low morale uh, because it's a symbol for them that they will no longer be surrounded by the support of the U.S. Uh, in the main, as I said before, the Taliban have enhanced their capacities to attack. So there's this threat not necessarily within the um, official, like the group that represents the Afghanistan, the Afghanistan's government, but just the people on the ground. Many hope that Biden would reverse the Trump administration's rush pledge to withdraw all U.S. Tr- all U.S. troops, and they watch his election with hopeful eyes that they would continue on, but that has not been the case. Okay, so generally not a positive reaction from Afghanistan because they still rely to a certain extent on U.S. support uh, to maintain control, maintain control of the country, or at least the government, I should say. Uh, and then let's turn now to the international reaction. Um, what have been the reactions from the U.S., uh, both positive and negative, uh, Harshana? So let's think about the positive reactions. The war has already cost the U.S. trillions of dollars and the lives of over 2,300 U.S. service members. and Thinking of this, many in the U.S. House Armed Services Committee are welcoming this announcement and are considering it as the best choice. And this is also being viewed as an opportunity for the U.S. to focus on other threats um, from Africa and other parts of the Middle East, namely in Syria or even the crisis in Yemen. And in terms of negative reactions, um, the U.S. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has called the plan reckless um, and, quote, a grave mistake and quote, while the enemy has not yet been defeated. And 
more immediately, I think officials are very concerned that the withdrawal will facilitate the collapse of the Kabul government and jeopardize progress that has been made over the years, especially um, in the context of women's rights. So that's that's been mostly the concern in the U.S. So many nationals who lived through the atrocities of the war of the 1990s, in which the Taliban fought, for instance, the Northern Alliances fear a Taliban takeover. Many survivors worry that devastating large-scale uh, attack uh, could happen, and they are worried of relieving a trauma they still haven't forgotten. For instance, there was a major invasion of the Shomali plane in 1990, uh, which is located in north uh, from Kabul, that destroyed 99% of houses. However, many locals say that after the arrival of the U.S. troops in able to return home. So again, they see this connection of U.S. presence as being able to feel or to live in a more peaceful environment. So the fear is really not unfounded as one of the Taliban commanders involved in, the, in this massacre that happened in the Shomali Plain is part of the militant groups negotiating, but that negotiated in Doha and Qatar. There is also the fear of a renewed infiltration of extremist ideology, like we mentioned before, the way in which the Taliban ruled initially in not allowing women to go to school and mm. uh, making them go to um, service and following um, following the Quran in a very strict interpretation. They see the possibility also for more intense recruitment efforts, especially of criminals and unemployed youth and also weakening the political and human rights system that have been built in throughout the years, as well as civil liberties in a pluralistic processes where they include minorities and women as part of their political system. And last but no, but no least, the empowering of militant third party actors. Um, Afghans mm -hmm. believe that the full US withdrawal could empower warlords and also regional players seeking to seeking power to set up their own armies and start, like Harshana has said before, a new civil war. Okay, yeah. So there's there, yeah, a lot of reactions on both sides. Those who favor it will probably say, well, we've been there for 20 years and the Soviets there before that, and it hasn't exactly stabilized and it hasn't exactly made things too much better, although that's up for debate. Uh, and the negative side will say, well, we've lost all our progress. So it's kind of an unanswerable question, perhaps. But um, I do want to ask whether you think, and this is for both of you, whether you think this withdrawal is final, because it's been it's been the war we can't get out of. We've had surges and then drawdown. It's been promised that we're getting out of Afghanistan before. Uh, what are the chances that this this survives? That we we actually stay out? Go ahead, Arshana. Well. So in the past, when U.S. presidents have expressed their intent to withdraw troops from Afghanistan, both President uh, um, Obama and Trump, it was attached with um, the decisions to redeploy in Afghanistan and Iraq as well, depending on the threat posed by local enemies. And last year, the Trump administration has come so close to the final withdrawal in May deadline after negotiating with the Taliban, and even those negotiations were... Um, were abandoned. So this time, the Biden administration has announced a complete no conditions attached withdrawal, and Danielle has already mentioned this. And other international forces are very likely to follow suit since they wouldn't risk staying in Afghanistan without U.S. enabling and support. 
And the U.S. is very well aware of the risk posed because of this drawdown. But at the moment, it would seem that this uh, is going to be a final withdrawal. Okay, so it looks like this might be the end for large U.S. involvement in Afghanistan. Daniela, real quick, because we're running out of time, uh, do you agree? I think right now the U.S. is facing other national security threats in other parts of the world. They have mentioned China multiple times. And just funneling the the resources that they have towards those threats is more important to them. So I think that even though they will not be physically uh, or symbolically as they have been in the past 20 years, they will remain involved, like Harshan has said, uh, within the country and in the peace negotiations and in in, in maybe in how uh, the Afghan government's going to implement finally a government if they're going to go with a republic or a caliphate. But I do think that it is no longer convenient for them to have the number of troops that they have in following all the m- amount of money. So I do think that it will be something permanent. So, you know, when Daniela was speaking, I was also thinking that the U.S. has begun to view the U.S. Uh, it, its military engagement in Afghanistan as a strategic liability and a futile investment, which is also crippling for the U.S., whereas instead troops and millions of dollars could be invested in tackling more pressing concerns. Daniela has also talked about China and Russia, and that mm-hmm. applies to NATO as well. You know, withdrawing um, from Afghanistan frees both the U.S. and NATO to focus on the Indo-Pacific region and rising threats from from North Korea and more important um, strategic priorities. Mm -hmm. Okay, so shifting priorities. All right, well, that's all we have time for today. Guys, this has been a fantastic discussion. Uh, Harshana, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. And that is all we have time for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not be possible without our dedicated crew, executive producer Jarrett Dang, associate producers Jasmine DeLeon and Joaquin Matimus, technical producers Joel Moran and Brittany Segura, and assistant technical producer Jason Marieski. I am your host, Eric Bunce. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you.